Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Weigh-In Sports Talk. Today is Sunday, November 17th. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564, or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino, or follow us on Twitter at Weigh-In Sports. Now here's your host, Brian Tarvin, and co-host Trey Patterson. Let's weigh in. Thank you, Michelle, and good evening, everyone. After an exciting weekend of football, both in college and NFL, uh, we're proud to be able to give you a good show tonight, and Trey will be with us shortly, momentarily, but the BCS standings are being revealed as we speak right now. They probably already are, but I'm on ESPN right now watching it live, so we're going to discuss the shakeups, if any, in the BCS, who got jumped, who fell out, all that good stuff, and really the only... Huge upset this weekend we had was Stanford losing on the road at Southern Cal, and I picked that one. I was very confident about that game and, and all season, but it was it was such a great weekend of football. I was at the Auburn-Georgia game last night, and you want to talk about just shock and disbelief, and Auburn got up to a 20-point lead. They were up by 20, Trey, in the third quarter or in the fourth quarter with about 10 minutes left. Georgia went on a roll, got all the momentum, and, and Auburn's lucky to to have a win after last night, Trey. Oh, yeah, buddy, absolutely. <laughs> it was a, a really fun game to watch as a, just a fan of football, but if you're Auburn, there's, there's a lot of things in that game to be worried about when it comes to Alabama and the way they executed in the fourth quarter and where they gave up oh. some passing yards. No, you just look at it as a momentum, and, and when you look at it, blocked, getting a field goal missed, and Georgia getting a touchdown at the end that wasn't a touchdown. If you look at it, I mean, sometimes you lose momentum in a quarter, and, and you have to credit in this game Aaron Murray and that Georgia team for not quitting, really. I mean, Auburn didn't execute, but they didn't execute because of Georgia. It wasn't just because they were having a bad time. If you look at Georgia's defense in that fourth quarter, they started – forcing Auburn. They had no they had no way to run the football. They finally committed to stopping the run and, and Auburn just couldn't complete it. I mean the momentum was gone. But if you talking about I was sitting at the fifty yard line on that game tray and you talk about pandemonium. Once he caught that football, fourth and eighteen, just the biggest play I've ever seen live and in person in a game and, and that crowd went crazy. But you know what? We'll worry about Alabama in two weeks. But right now the Auburn Nation out there, they're celebrating this Georgia win. A ten and one Auburn team after a three and nine season last year, Trey, that's, that's pretty unbelievable what Gus Malzahn's been able to accomplish in his first year as head coach. Well yeah, I mean you gotta give a lot of credit to him as a as a first year head coach. I mean I disagree with you to a little bit at the extent of what the Georgia, I mean, was really, and their defense is pretty bad. I, I, I saw some execution errors uh, in the passing game from uh, Nick Marshall. I think, I think, you know, watching it, if I was an Auburn fan, I'd be a little concerned uh, with some of the decisions he made. And even in the greatest play, it's probably maybe even in Auburn history, if you're talking about 
you know, one uh, one play, even that play, Tarvin, I saw a wide open receiver down, the, you know, up to the first down, I think he should have hit. Um, yeah, you know, Timmy, the, Timmy Coates was open 20 yards down yeah. the field in that one, Trey. He was, he was open for it, but you know what? He, it was a bad decision, but it turned out to be a great one. But if you look, I watched the game, and for three three quarters and, what was it, five minutes, Auburn blew Georgia off the football. I mean, rushing the football, they ran after three quarters, it was like 330 yards rushing on the ground, about 150 passing. But if you watch that game, I know, you, like you said, be concerned, but Auburn totally dominated Georgia in every aspect of that football game. But anytime you play sports, and if you're out there and you're listening and you've played sports before, you know once you lose momentum, I mean, anything can happen, and sometimes some bad things happen. But Auburn has a bye week with two weeks, and we'll talk about this game in a few minutes, a bye week to be able to rest, to heal up, prepare for Bama. The biggest Iron Bowl in the history of Iron Bowls is coming up, Trey. I'm I'm excited about this one because there's a lot at stake for both teams. It's not one team can wreck the other one. Both teams can possibly play for a national championship. Yeah, Auburn needs a lot of help to get there, obviously. We've seen crazier things than happen, but um, Auburn will need a lot of help um, to make it. You know, and I'm, obviously here's my question to you, Tarvin, and other Auburn fans. Let me ask you this. If, if, if beating Alabama, and I guarantee, let's just say I, I'm going to, in this scenario, I'm going to give you two facts which you can't change. That's, that Ohio State and Florida State go undefeated, and, and they're going to meet in the national championship game. Uh, if Auburn beats Alabama, would you prefer to see an SEC team uh, out of the national championship and have your team win the Iron Bowl and even, let's say, win the SEC, uh, or would you prefer to lose the Iron Bowl and then see Alabama go in and play for the national championship? Well, that's a dumb question, Trey. I don't know, man. I see a lot of SEC people out there who oh, may... Who may uh, I want – here's what I want. There's a fan, and this is not as anything. I want Auburn to win that game. But, I mean, it, but if Auburn wins the game, you're right, they need help. But they, they're going to have to get a little bit of help to get there. But you got to remember, a 12-1 and SEC team that's won it seven years in a row. But I guess I didn't understand your question. Will you repeat it again for me, please? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, let's just put it this way. You can't change the, the fact scenario that Ohio State and Florida State go undefeated, and if they go undefeated, they're going to meet the national championship. If there is, you know, no undefeated SEC team, would you still prefer that your team beats Alabama in the Iron Bowl knowing that it ends the, the SEC streak of national oh. championships? Oh, who cares about the SEC streak of national championships? All I care about is Auburn getting that win. I mean, it's a long shot to make it, but do you think I could actually pull for Alabama to make it? I don't care if it was LSU or Florida or anybody, even the teams I like in the SEC. I'm pulling for my team regardless. I, I could care less about seven national championships in a row. The only reason that's brought up a lot is because of you just comparing the strengths of, of your conferences you play in, which sometimes gives you more credibility as a team. If you're a 9-3 and three team, some people might, well, they're not good, but if you, you look at who they lost to, that could be another issue. But, man, I'm an Auburn fan at heart, and, and I could care less. And, I, you know, if Florida State and Alabama plays, I'll be honest with you, I'll be pulling for Florida State. Yeah, I mean, that's the right answer. And I think you know, people in the chat room are saying, why would I ask that? But I just, I've seen a lot of, of these chat rooms, and they seem to be saying, you know, they don't they, they – don't, they wouldn't want that kind of scenario. And as a fan, Harvin, I just can't fathom ever rooting for a conference over my team. I mean, oh, I would root for my team to win, I mean, no matter what. I mean, there's just I, – I could care less about conference play 
uh, and all this jazz. So I just, you know, just ask that question to make sure I get the right answer from you. Uh, and it should be, you know, absolutely the answer. Auburn, you, you want Auburn to win. Who cares about the rest? Yeah, you you would never. I don't know an Auburn fan that would say that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's other people out there that's not in that game, Trey. But BCS standings are just out. Stanford dropped to nine. Oklahoma State's ten. Missouri eight. Clemson seven. Auburn six. Oregon five. That's kind of surprising to me. Baylor's four. Ohio State three. Florida State two. Alabama one. Trey Stanford number nine right now. In the BCS, I mean, really, you lose the two unranked teams and you're still at number nine. That's kind of a a weird ranking, don't you think? That's a little weird, but Stanford season's been weird. I mean, I think they have the most wins in the top 25, uh, and they have two unranked lo- – well, unranked losses. I know USC is now ranked. but uh, So, you know, USC, um, you know, you, get, you count that as sort of a, a loss out of, out, of, you know, out, of, out of the top 25s at the time they were. I think they will be again, but – yeah, so Stanford's got a weird season going on, where they seem to beat the ranked teams they play, and then they seem to have a lot of problems against unranked teams. They seem to play down the competition, and you know, watching that game, Tarvin, and I know we'll get to it, but I'll just say that you know, you and I talked about Kevin Hogan, and I just I've seen him regress from last year, and his throwing motion, he would get eaten alive um, by a good secondary. I mean, just um, I think a quick secondary, it would just pick him off three or four times in a game. He just he has two two long of a throwing motion. Yeah, Stanford to me, Trey, you're right. We we talked about Hogan. Stanford to me is not even a top fifteen team, and I'm not saying that to be cute. They're they're not athletic at all. They're physical up front and they're great, but they don't have any kind of of help on that team to score points. They looked uh, like a mid tier Pac twelve team last night. You know, they beat Oregon. But or that's a matchup issue with Oregon. For some reason, Stanford has their numbers. You see that in sports all the time. A certain team has your number. But what do you think? And I'll ask you right now. Oregon fifth, Auburn sixth. Do you think Oregon is a better team than Auburn? You look at their resumes. You look at what they've done and accomplished. Do you like Auburn at six? Do you think that's right, or do you, you would you move them up in the top five ahead of Oregon? Uh, you know, I'll tell you that I think. Uh, personally, I look at the three. I would I would say premier one loss teams. And I, I would I'm, actually I'm going to say four. I, I find a very tough way to rank all of them ahead of any other because I think there are it's just there really isn't a distinguishing yeah. factor between you know Clemson, Oregon, Auburn, and Missouri. I mean, if you look at Auburn and Missouri, you have three opponents that are they played that are similar, and I, and I look at it to be honest as almost uh, they split on two of them. And then you have an Auburn win who kind of, you know, was a little bit better on one of them. So, I mean, Auburn and Missouri's resume, very, very similar. Oregon, very hard to say because they kind of lost the one team they have. But on paper, or at least when you watch them, they look just phenomenal. And so, really, I don't think any of them have really distinguished themselves. I think they're going to. I mean, Auburn beats Alabama, then they're clearly, no doubt about it, far and away the best one-loss team in the country. Uh, And then Missouri, I mean, they could distinguish themselves by making the – SEC championship game and winning that one. And then I think they jump above Clemson uh, and, of course, Oregon. So I think the SEC yeah. still has a very good shot to be the, the premier one-loss team. And, and hopefully, if you're, an, if you're a fan of Missouri or if you're a fan of Auburn, maybe get in the championship game. I think you're right. I mean, you, you start talking Oregon, Clemson, Auburn, and Michigan, even Michigan State out there, the way they look. I mean, you, you don't know. I mean, either one of those teams, Auburn could beat Clemson, Clemson could beat Auburn, Oregon could beat Auburn, Auburn could beat Oregon. If you look at it, it's so even. 
between them, but the voters are waiting on that Iron Bowl. And if Auburn somehow at home beat an Alabama team undefeated number one in every pollster's mind almost, I think Auburn's going to jump ahead of, of Oregon. And honestly, I think they could possibly get past Baylor and Ohio State and get in there. It just depends on the SEC championship game if they could do that. But that's the only way. They need a little help. But Baylor's still got a tough road. Ohio State's still got to go to Michigan. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's a rival game and probably play Michigan State. Florida State's still got to go to the Swamp and play in that championship. So there's a lot of football left. But right now, trying to figure who's better, who's more deserving. Honestly, Trey, you said it perfect. I mean, it's really hard to distinguish that. But all I know right now is it looks like there's two teams that have separated themselves, and that's Alabama and Florida State right now. Yeah, and, you know, I I actually thought about this, about, you know, the – you know, what would happen in this four of I'm not ready to put Michigan State up in there just yet. I look at it as four one-loss teams, and I just think that there are matchup problems with each one of them, and so it's really almost impossible at this point to rank one. I mean, I, I have no problem with the way they're racking stack right now. I probably have it a little bit differently, but mine is just based on completely subjectivity of watching all these teams play and just thinking who has the best matchups against the other ones. I think you're right. If they all four played each other, it may be all two and two. Who knows? But, you know, we're going to find out a lot here in the Iron Bowl and Auburn. And Missouri's got a couple of tough matchups left. I mean, they got A&M on their schedule. And Michigan State looks like they're going to go uh, and play Ohio State for the for the Big Ten. And that's going to be a really tough game and a matchup problem for Ohio State. And then, I mean, you know, of course, Oregon, you know, I mean, now they have a possible Pac-12 championship against maybe Arizona State, who looks like they're getting better. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, Oregon's got the easiest route of those four teams. But we're going to know a lot more about the other three teams for sure and whether or not we should even put Oregon in their category by the time this is over. Well, Trey, I want to ask you a question. Your team's number two in the BCS, and I've, I've seen this question a few times on Facebook today in sports groups and, you know, on the headlines of Ohio State. You know, they gave up 35 points to Illinois, but they put up 60 yesterday. And, and it kind of says Ohio State, the headlines, what slides by, barely gets by Illinois, really, or struggles. But Alabama wins by, what, 13 points, 20-7 to 7 on the road at Starkville. And we know Mississippi State's not a very good football team, and they're they're getting praised for it. So tell me your thoughts. Is that fair that Ohio State gets, gets criticized like this for giving up 35 points and winning by 25, and Alabama getting praised for what they did on the road at Starkville? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if you're an Alabama fan, and I'm not moving you off number one, so I'll start there. I mean, you should not have struggled in Mississippi State. I mean, I don't care how much I see Alabama fans talking about how great Mississippi State is, the best four or five loss team in the country, whatever that, that's ridiculous. You're the best, you're the 90th team in the country. I mean, that's just <laughs> You're silly. the best five um, loss team in the country. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you're the 98th team, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, they, they shouldn't have struggled against Mississippi State. I mean, Zach Prescott wasn't even playing, and he's really kind of one of their spark plugs. Uh, that was just a terrible performance from Alabama. But, let's, I mean, so what? I mean, they're still the number yeah. one team in the country. I still think you have to beat them to to get there. And, you know, is Ohio State getting unfairly criticized? Yes and no. I mean, had Alabama should have gotten criticized for that loss, for that, excuse me, that win. But Ohio State hasn't – I mean, they've beaten one team that was ranked, and that's Wisconsin. Uh, and so, you know, they played – they were at a number two, and that's their own fault. So, you know, Urban Meyer's got to go out. And if you look at the even the non-conference schedule coming up for Ohio State, like what they're still scheduling now out, 
they're still not actually going out and trying to schedule premier games right now. So, I mean, that to me, that's, that's Ohio State's problem. Yeah, Baylor jumped them, and Baylor, you know, was down 20 to nothing last night at home against Texas Tech and then turned it on a little bit. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with Baylor jumping Ohio State after last week. But one thing I like is the pollsters, they're not going to settle and just keep something the same up. Like looking at the AP, they're going to move you if someone outperforms you and it's close. I mean, it's the eye test. You're, you have a resume, Florida State. You're Surely Baylor's not going to jump Florida State or Alabama, but there is one team they could jump, and it was Ohio State. So if you put those two games side-by-side side yesterday and you look at it, Trey, you have to be more impressed with Baylor and what they were able to do. They faced adversity, and they came back and stormed out. They were missing a couple of players yesterday, too. So I think that Baylor team – could make this interesting. If they went out, it's going to get very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an honest shot that Baylor could jump Ohio State. I think if Michigan State makes it to the Big Ten uh, championship unscathed with one loss in the top ten, and if Ohio State dominates them, they're going to be able to hold off Baylor um, from jumping them in any in sort of any poll, I think, because I know Baylor jumped them, I think, in the AP, if I'm right. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, Tarvin, that both of those teams have quality opponents. I mean, game day and all of the ESPN's drama are going to be in Ohio, you know, to watch Baylor play this weekend. So that's another premier game that they get on TV, uh, and that's going to help Baylor out. And that's where, you know, Ohio State's got to be at least a little bit, you know, worried that, you know, all the hoopla and all of the sort of press are going to be spending a week with Baylor. Well, they're they're doing the BCS polls right now, Trey, like the projections. They have Bama, Florida State in the national title game, Oregon, Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Right now in the Sugar Bowl, they're putting Auburn as a large team in the SEC, and I think they'll be playing probably Central Florida. They're projecting the Orange Bowl. Um, We'll talk about it once it comes out tonight. But like I said, these are projections. Clemson's the first team in the Orange Bowl I wanted to see that Oregon-Clemson game, Trey. They're not showing it right now, but wouldn't you like to see Oregon-Clemson play in the Orange Bowl? This is a two two one-loss teams going at it. That would be something to watch. Probably the best bowl game out of all of them, honestly. Yeah, and, and the the BCS is officially out right now, Tarvin. CBS has got it. Looks um, like Ohio State did hold off Baylor in the BCS, so officially. Um, so, you know, Baylor's still clinging on. They did, they did close the gap a little bit, it looks like. Uh, they have a uh, 0.894 to 0.095, so or 0.905. So Baylor closed the gap on him, Tarvin. So who knows what's going to happen here? Well, Paul Ewing put in the chat room that Auburn is number three in the computer poll right now. Trey, they they have games against number one and possibly eight left. Where will Auburn be if they could win those games in the computer? They would have to jump to number one with winning two top ten games, and that could make it interesting just as a side note of who they could jump at the end, Trey. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they'll jump all the way to one. Right now, it uh, looks like Auburn is, yeah, three. And Collie, uh, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now, too. So, you know, there's a lot of football to be played. I mean, there's a, you know, Auburn, excuse me, Alabama was, what, fourth uh, at this point last year in the BCS, and then, after the, you know, this this is the week they jumped up because, we saw Kansas State and Oregon lose, so you know. I mean, there's you know, there's anything can happen with these games ahead. I mean, that's why you play them. I mean, I think the only thing I'll say is I don't think there's any way Alabama loses to Chattanooga, but absent that, I mean, these all games that we played on the field. 
Yeah, and, and Trey, just a before we get in the NFL, they have Fresno State and Central Florida making a BCS. Really? What are your thoughts on that? I think you're killing and watering down the BCS by putting teams like this in it. Well, Central Florida has an automatic bid, so, I mean, they're going to get in um, automatically. But uh, Fresno State, I mean, they're going to get beat by whoever they play, let's be honest. Well, I'll tell you, I watch Central Florida play. They're not good. I mean, they're not even close to good. Fresno State, get them out of here. I would rather see teams like, let's see, Oklahoma State, uh, Texas A&M, somebody like that get in because Texas A&M in a BCS bowl game against any team in there just about almost would probably win. And I would rather see the matchups. Could you imagine seeing Oregon, Texas A&M in a BCS bowl game? How awesome that would be. Um, this stuff like that excites me. And I, I don't want to see Fresno State play, Trey. I don't want to see Central Florida play. Let's get real. Let's put Central Florida and Fresno State in a game. If they're going to be allowed to make the game, let's put them together and not kill two BCS games. Let's just kill one. Yeah, I mean, Central Florida is an interesting team. Yeah, I, I think they're a decent football team, actually. I don't know that they deserve a BCS game as the you know, winner of the AAC. I don't know about that. I mean, but they almost beat South Carolina. So if they're not a very good football team, then South Carolina certainly isn't either. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, this is the year I think we're going to have several bad matchups in the BCS just because I don't think a lot of these teams are all that good. I mean, I think you have a uh, – there's, there's going to be some bad matchups in the BCS this year for sure. Well, Trey, one last question, and Paul brought it up in the chat room, and I totally disagree with him. He said 10-2, and two, like a, say Auburn loses to Alabama, and A&M's 10-2 and two, and Auburn's 10-2. and two. Who do you put in the Sugar Bowl, Trey, uh, with Auburn winning the heads-up match on the road? Who would you put in the, the Sugar Bowl? Well, um, well, I mean that's that's absent in Missouri, I guess. If they went to the East, I mean, I, I, I don't think you can count out Missouri either, but because um, if Missouri beat Texas A&M, or I guess if you're saying Texas A&M beats them, I guess in that scenario. But I, I would choose Auburn. They have a bigger fan base, I think. Yeah, they do, and that's what Paul's not realizing in the chat room. He thinks that A&M would sell more tickets. That was what they gonna sell ten thousand tickets or twenty. Auburn would buy that place out. After a three and nine, and it's that's even crazy to say you you wouldn't put a Manziel in there. I know it's Manziel in there over a team that beats you. Plus, A and M probably won't beat LSU anyway this weekend, and then they got to play Missouri on the road. So, I don't think A and M is going to go ten and two. Do you, Trey? No, I mean, I've been telling you and everybody else on this show, A and M isn't very good, and they're not going to be in the top ten by the end of the year. Uh, I just think that, you know, I'm sticking to my prediction that they're going to lose at least, I think it's three or four, as I said. Uh, so I think that they're, you know, like they have two games left that are pretty tough. They're going to lose one of them. Well, too. Sorry if y'all hear a um, 100-pound Yorkie barking over here, if you hear him in the background. He's he's trying to make his way into the studio, Trey. I don't know if I have a treat in my pocket or something he's smelling, but he wants in this studio. But what a day in the NFL today. I don't know I don't know about you, but the Bears game, the Ravens game was amazing, even though it was a two hour rain delay. And wow, what a Saints Niners game, Trey. I know you were disappointed. You were wanting the Niners to win so you could beat me in the pick'em. Uh well honestly that doesn't really concern me all that much. I was more concerned with Colin Kaepernick's point total, uh trying to hold off my fantasy football opponent. Uh that was my big concern to be honest with you, I was hoping that Kaepernick and get in the end zone once more, and, and maybe uh, put that little game out of the, out of the way for Peyton Manning, who I'm playing this tonight. So I don't think he got there for me, Tarvin. But yeah, it was, I mean, so far, I mean, you got all the games that we had on our list. 
have been phenomenal. I mean, there's been all of them have been down to almost final possessions on our list. So uh, I don't have my computer right now, Tarvin, so if you can lead us off, buddy. Well, I'll lead you off once I log on. <laughs> Dang it, Trey. Give me just one second. But, hey, I don't know if you heard about the comment of the Washington Redskins player. Paul sent me something earlier, and then I saw it on ESPN where the Washington Redskins defensive, I think it was a defensive player or something, was getting cussed out by an official. Have you heard anything about this? Called him a piece this of garbage. And a, and a, and a, yeah, and they used the MF word to him and called him that. I'm not buying that, Trey. Are you? Well, here, I think that the players give it far worse than they get it. I mean, so um, that's, that's what I really think. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine? I mean, like, if you're cussing an official, I, I don't mind the official cussing back at you a little bit. I have no problem with that whatsoever. If you're going to be able to give the abuse, you you have to learn to take it. And I, I don't know. The Redskins need to worry about what they're doing on the field instead of worrying about the officials. I mean, you suck. If you're a Redskins fan out there, you got to be disappointed um, how bad it's gone. But let's start with number five. I know Cuervo's happy. The Bears at home, Trey, five and four. Ravens came in. We both picked the Bears, I believe, in this game. And it was a wet, sloppy game. But what surprised me was how well the Ravens played at times, Trey. They, they looked very good today. I know they lost the game, uh, but they played well. Very impressed by them. But the Bears got a much-needed win. They're six and four now. Yeah, I mean, the Ravens and the Bears game came down to, you know, overtime kick uh, and a really sloppy uh, windy game and the tornadoes that were going on around there were pretty pretty bad. I mean, a four uh, hit right outside of Chicago. So you know, thoughts and prayers are with the families. But as the football game, Tarvin, it was a sloppy game. The wind was really affecting the game, uh, and it really turned out that Matt Forte, you know, was ready to take the call because he kind of led the Bears to this victory. Uh, and then Robbie Gold just got that kick in in overtime for all that wind. You know, looking at the Bears, how important was this game? I know the Ravens fall pretty low to four and six, but how important was this win for Chicago? If they'd have lost this game and went five and five, it would have been tough to to get into the playoffs. Well, yeah, because the Lions and the Packers lost today. So, for the Bears, it's a good chance to, to get back into this division a little better. I mean, hope the Lions slip up today. Uh, and then the Packers, I mean, the Packers look like the Jaguars without – uh, Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, the Packers are reeling uh, with, you know, the Lord of the Rings character as quarterback. And so you got to really be, as a Bears fan, happy with the, their move today to win and sort of get even up with the Lions of the division. Well, the Eagles in their next game played the Redskins. And, you know, the Eagles gave their fans something to cheer about at home finally, Trey. Their first home win of the year. I mean, how bad did Chip, Chip Kelly need this one? Philadelphia is in first place in the East, and I can't believe that. Yeah, I mean, you got to, I mean, all the talk about Vic, and I, and I thought, I mean, I thought that Vic was a better fit for the system, but Nick Foles, I mean, has been playing out of his mind. Uh, and this is another game, came down to a final play with RV3, down by eight. Uh, we're taking our two-point conversion, too, but they had already converted two two-point conversions. They were up 24 to nothing, the Eagles were. And the Redskins almost came back, so it was an exciting end. Uh, RG3 couldn't do it near the end, but, um, you know, the Eagles needed this win and now control the division, um, you know, with Dallas, who, you know, has been up and down all year. So if you're, you know, Chip Kelly, you're an Eagles fan, Cuervo, who 
you know, picked in the win of the division. I got to tell you, it's looking pretty good. Yeah, I can't. I can't believe Cuervo picked that, and uh, I think Jonathan and Paul both made fun of him, and I even laughed a little bit. But you know, after that first game, we all were. Everybody was jumping on Chip Kelly's bandwagon, and then he hit a wall. But then he's he's coming back. I think Nick Foles is the leader of that team, and I think the players respect him more than Big Trey. That's what it looks like to me. I could be wrong. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think he understands the passing offense a little bit better, and he's getting the ball off quicker. So I think in that regard, I think the receivers are happy. I mean, Riley Cooper, uh, the only thing he was known for was, you know, his racist comments. I mean, you know, that was the only thing that he was known for uh, until Nick Foles started, you know, in this offense. And now he seems to have sort of a connection with Riley Cooper, who seems to score in bunches of Foles and absent today. But, you know, Deshaun Jackson's putting up big numbers. I mean, LaShawn McCoy is, I think, the number one uh, rusher in fantasy football now uh, because of Nick Foles. So, I mean, the offense is clicking for sure. Well, I mean, that was a no-brainer, really, the pick on this one. We'll see what happens next week with the Eagles. I think the skins are done. You could put a fork in them at 3-7. and seven. Our number three game, the Patriots at the Panthers tomorrow night. Trey, we both picked the Panthers. Are you changing your mind on this? No, I – yeah. I, I saw a lot of experts who picked the uh, the Patriots on this, and you know, I just I look at that offense, and I think the Patriots lead lead the league and drop passes. I think if I if I know my stat right there, uh, the receiving core has been hurting Tom Brady all year long, and I just don't think it's going to get any better. I mean, the Panthers get to the quarterback, and you know, Brady has been a quarterback throughout his career. That if you rattle him and put him on his back, he will have a bad football game. So. I just think it's, I don't I don't think you know so I'm not saying that Cam Newton's gonna have a great game but I am thinking that, that he has a good enough game to beat the Patriots too you know and Brady's gonna spend some time on the back in the game. Well, I'm hoping Cam has a breakout game. I mean the defense is there. I think the Patriots will struggle and you see the San Francisco defense today the way they kind of control went on the road to New Orleans and they controlled that game and that's our that's our number two game right here Trey the Saints. Uh, at home, pulls off one. I don't know if you got to see the flags at the end of the game where, you know, they called one, what was it, hitting breeze. They called face mask maybe. Uh, and then on that fair punt return, a fair catch, the guy barely ran into him. I hate flags like that, Trey. They ought to use their judgment and realize the guy didn't hit him hard or really mean to. I don't think they should have thrown a flag in those situations, neither one of them. Yeah, I, I thought they were kind of uh... – uh, let's just say, uh, very pro quarterback flag. Uh, I didn't think they were the most deserved flags, and it, you know that that really made a difference in the football game. So, you know the the Forty ers they had their shots to be quite honest with you in the fourth quarter to really um, to win that football game. And the offensive line for the Forty ers is struggling far greater than I ever expected. I mean, they really were letting Kaepernick get drilled in that fourth quarter. Uh, so they have to sort of I think come up with a sort of a better blocking scheme because, I mean, Kaepernick, who's a mobile quarterback, is still getting drilled a lot. And I know the Saints and Rex Ryan are, are you know, throwing different blitz packages, but still, I, I thought there was some open, basically some, some unabated to the quarterback situations there that, that should have been blocked. Well, Trey, we have a caller online. I think it's Jonathan. Jonathan, what's up, buddy? Hey, guys. What a, uh, what a wild day in the NFL. Who would have thought we'd see, you know, that many teams for 40-plus points and Kudos to the Eagles for getting their first home win of the year, believe it or not. They had been 0 for on the home, at home before uh, today's, uh, you know, nice victory. 
Yeah, and if you if you if you were listening to the show earlier, we we already said that, Jonathan. Get with the program, man. Hey, you know, I mean, I, I felt I felt like giving my props to the Eagles for you know getting a home win finally. You know, I was listening. I just gotta say it too. Somebody else has got that a second year. Somebody else got a second year to make sure you know you you have that reassurance that you are the greatest in the world. Thank you for that, man. I appreciate that. But yeah, that was a big win for Philadelphia. I like what they're doing there. Um, you know, you never know when playoff time comes. This team gels together. What could happen? But Jonathan, what did you think about the Forty Niners um, going on the road and losing a close one to the Saints? You know, the Forty Niners fought. You know, they, they fought really hard today. Uh, losing Mike Iapati, you know, early in the game did not help their offensive line at all whatsoever. He is an All-Pro guard. And I believe that's what led to some of the struggles that we saw later in the game. But let's face it, some of those receivers dropped balls that, I mean, Frank Gore had had a, a little flare out that if he, caught, he catches that, he's gone. And that's the game. And we're all coming back to the flags. I mean, if you go by the rule book, technically, those should have been called. But you're right. I mean, that's one of those situations where a ref has to make some sort of a judgment call. Yeah, uh, and and you're exactly right. That is the rules. They state. You know, but I, I wish they would use judgment in this and say, look, uh, I'm not going to call that because the guy rarely, barely fell down. He didn't get hit. More of an acting job. And I don't know. I just think sometimes officials, and I saw it last night in the Auburn game, I mean, they just have too much of an impact in your notice. If your notice is an official, you're not doing your job, Trey. And t- tell us the difference in that game, Trey, if those calls hadn't happened. I mean, the Saints probably wouldn't have won that football game. Oh, I mean, I think that's true. But like I said, I, I don't blame the officials for making those calls. I mean, do I think they should have gone the other way? I thought it was, yeah, that it was sort of ticky-tack. But I'll tell you this, I mean, like I said before, uh, and Jonathan sort of hit, hit up the nail on the head, the 49ers had their chances uh, in the fourth quarter and then to make plays, and they didn't protect Kaepernick, and they didn't really call a good team, you know, team plan near the end, especially – uh, when they had the ball down near the goal line and sort of went backwards and threw the football and let the clocks, you know, let sort of instead of eating the clock, they kind of let the clock um, sit still and the Saints had a big opportunity. So, you know, I think the 49ers kind of, you know, shot themselves in the foot there in the fourth quarter. Well, I mean, if you look at the Saints right now, Jonathan, I mean, the Carolina Panthers, if they win tomorrow night, it'll only be a game back. Do you think Carolina – is good enough to to actually dethrone these Saints from this division, and I think they are. You know, the Panthers can show me a lot tomorrow night, and whether you know, and my my pick for them uh, to dethrone the Saints. But as of right now, I'm going to say that they can, uh, just from the simple fact that New Orleans has it, it, they have been struggling these past couple weeks. I mean, we saw a real heartbreaking loss to the Patriots, a really disturbing loss to the Jets. And then today where they kind of, you know, they, the breaks just wound up falling their way when it mattered the most. You know, the Panthers, their front seven has got to be, if not the best, one of the best in, college, in uh, the NFL. And Cam Newton is just getting it done right now. It's hard to stop the Panthers, and I'd love, I can't wait to see how they match up against the Patriots tomorrow night. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. And our number one game, Trey, uh, the Broncos are up 3 to nothing against Kansas City. Peyton Manning uh, fumbled the ball, handing it to the running back, it looked like, and then Kansas City turned around on the next play and fumbled the football. So we're three to nothing, five twenty-eight left in the first quarter. 
Well, Jonathan, why are you here, man? Your Tampa Bay Bucks have won two games in a row. I mean, they were winless, and now they beat Atlanta 41-28. to And my first question is, how bad are the Falcons? Uh, you know, the Falcons are a terrible, terrible football team. That score does not accurately describe how bad the Falcons were. We were up 41-13 to before we put the backups in. I want to make that abundantly <laughs> clear to everybody. Okay, we put in our second-string defense, and the second-string defense fell apart so quickly that they threw the starters back in to make sure it didn't become a one-possession game. Uh, hats off to Bobby Rainey, a West Kentucky Hilltop, who came in and ran for 163 yards today. Who saw that coming? Baltimore, Cleveland, maybe you should have kept on to this guy? Well, maybe. That's a, that's a good point, Trey. And, and the Falcons... You know, I think, Trey, you and I both picked them to win this division, I believe. I think I picked the Falcons. How much are you regretting that right now? <laughs> yeah, it's turning out to be like the worst pick ever. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, I, just, <laughs> I still can't figure out how this team fell apart so quickly. I mean, you look at their pieces on paper, and they still look like a talented football team. But on the football field, I mean, they just look lost every which way but lose. And there's, I mean, this is like the same pieces. Uh, with the playoff last year, and they just, you know, Matt Ryan looks tremendously awful. Uh, you know, Steven Jackson has been a just atrocious. Uh, and, you know, of course, I mean, Julio Jones, that loss is big, but, I mean, you can't blame it all on that. So, you know, just the Falcons, man, they are just, they're lost. Uh, you know, now they're looking at a, a top five pick. I mean, it's crazy. Well, guys, hold where you are. I think we have uh, Cuervo, who, who, he's a Bears fan, and he had to watch a game for five hours, I think, today to finally get an <laughs> overtime win. Cuervo, what's going on, buddy? Bears, what's up, guys? How are you this evening? Oh, wonderful. What's up? Oh, just, uh, just you know, getting in on this NFL talk that you guys got going on. Um, you know, I, I did. I had to wait forever. I was, uh, I think I have no more fingernails. I was like, you know, just waiting for this game to finish up, and it was, but it was worth it. I mean, it was a, it was a good game, and I'm glad the Bears came out on top. Yeah, and you know, I went through that last night. I looked, my fingers were hurting today, and I, I felt sore on my fingers, and I realized I bit all my nails off last night uh, during the game. So I know how you feel there, Cuervo. Your Chicago Bears look better without Jay Cutler, man. Oh, well, for now. I mean, come on. Let's not get into that. The whole McCown is better than Cutler. Let's not. Let's not. No, I'm talking about. I'm talking mean, about like right right now. They look better. Like they 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 look more cohesive instead of trying to play an injured Cutler and you know maybe sixty or sixty five percent. But in a quarterback that can manage the offense and, and mm-hmm. make some plays here and there and run the football and play defense, I think they have a better shot of winning right now with a healthy McCown than bringing Cutler back. That's what I meant. Well, and and that's why, and that's why if, if I you know if I saw Phil Emery, the GM, or Mark Trestman walking down the street, I'd probably kick him in the groin for making Cutler come back so so fast because it, it just made no sense. Now instead of having him wait one week, one extra week, now as a Bears fan, you got to wait a whole month for this guy to come back, maybe even longer depending on uh, how his injuries heal up because. I, I mean, lower ankle sprains are easier to deal with than high ankle sprains. So, I mean, there's no telling how long he's going to be out for. We probably won't see him until next month. And if he would have just waited one more week, I mean, who knows? You know, he would probably would have played today, and he he would be he would be just fine with that groin injury. And 
No, they'd, they'd, they'd be at 100% as far as uh, the offense is concerned, at least. But, I mean, regardless, um, you know, they, they do look good with McCown right now. I mean, um, the thing about McCown is he he does not force any throws like what Cutler does. I mean, he's I mean, he, it's high risk, high reward with Cutler. I mean, that's that's what you get. But McCown, he's he progresses through throws and and you know makes very good decisions. I've I've yet to see him make a terrible decision. I mean, I've seen him make some bad ones, but not like like horrible, like what the hell did you just do type throws. Well, Trey, um, I don't know about you, but the New York Jets, I don't know whether to pick them one week or not. They lose today on the road to Buffalo, 37-14. to 14. I mean, why, why can't the Jets be consistent? Is it because they have a rookie quarterback? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a big part of it, Tarvin. But the other, I mean, I think you can predict it. I mean, if, if history holds, next week you can put it down as a lock to win because – They've won one, lost one, and, and on and on and on. So we'll see if that rings true to the Jets, who are, you know, terribly inconsistent. But let's let's be. I mean, let's not put this in perspective or fail to put this in perspective. I mean, we all picked the Jets to be, you know, one of the worst three teams in the league. So, you know, whether they don't win another game this year or whether they stay, you know, win one, lose one, and win eight games. I mean, that's still a pretty darn good year considering what we all thought they would do. Yeah, but they raised my expectations, though. And, and, Jonathan, one last thing in the NFL before we move to college. The Detroit Lions disappoint today. They go on the road and lose 37-27 to to Pittsburgh. I mean, what is it? Why does Pittsburgh have this new life, really? These guys are playing good football right now. And, and maybe if they can finish out the year like this, they can make some noise. Well, I think it's because everybody's healthy for the most part. I mean – that that was so big for Pittsburgh early in the year was everybody was getting dinged up, everybody's getting nicked up. And you know what? I gotta put it out there. It doesn't hurt the fact that Calvin Johnson wasn't targeted once in the second half. I mean, Stafford, what were you doing, bud? You have Calvin Johnson with six grabs, 179 yards, and two touchdowns at halftime, and you don't throw one football his way the entire second half. You know, poor offensive play calling. They tried to go into a power run, which you can't do against the Steelers. That is the Steelers' bread and butter. Uh, you know, but Roethlisberger finally waking up. A, the, league, the AFC North has to be a little nervous right now. It's Pittsburgh, and with Cincinnati's Andy Dalton struggling so much, Pittsburgh can wind up and come back and win this division. And imagine just the pure ridiculousness that would be after their horrendous start to the season. Yeah, I mean, it's Pittsburgh, Trey, and Cuervo, they look pretty good. But I don't know about y'all, but college football is what I want to talk, at least for the next 45 minutes before we get out of here. So if you want to call in, 646-716-5564. And, Trey, we're going to start off with a game. I think we both predicted Duke beat Miami, and then I changed it on one show. Uh, Friday night I was just sort of looking at it thinking Miami was too athletic, but no matter who picked who in this, Duke took care of Miami, Trey, and it was it looked easy for them. At halftime, it was a one-point game, and they just blew Miami out of the water, man. Yeah, I mean, Duke, I mean, how crazy is it that, you know, this year you're going to see Duke, uh, you know, Vanderbilt, Stanford, I mean, all these, you know, sort of you know schools that are known for being academic are all going to be bowling and all going to be, you know, all playing pretty good football and all. Um, you know, have, have signature wins this year. You know, and this time it's the Duke being a ranked Miami team. 
I thought Miami had too much athleticism in this game, but, I mean, David Cutcliffe and the job he is doing, and you look at just every quarterback he's got his hands on, and then this guy in Duke was, just was trash, and then, you know, Cutcliffe, uh, Cutcliffe excuse me, gets his hands on him this year, and, you know, again, you know, this, this coach seems to, you know, work magic with these guys, especially if he has caught more than a season with them, Parvin. So, yeah, I think Duke, I mean, looks like they may be going to the ACC championship game. I mean, how crazy is that? What a... What a good year for them. Yeah, and Jonathan, you look at it, 358 yards rushing for Duke. What was Miami thinking? I mean, you give up that many yards. I mean, I thought Auburn's rushing offense was good, but if you watch Duke, you would think they were that caliber of a rushing offense. What's with Miami right now? I mean, did did losing to Florida State really devastate them so bad they can't even win another game? I hate to say it, but I think it has. I honestly believe Miami losing that game in the fashion they did in the second half I think has demoralized this team, and it's, it's a shame. But I think Miami is a really talented team, but a lot of people are including Al Golden or Wright when they said this team is still at least another year away from being a contender. You know, this is not a Miami team that, and we all knew going into the Florida State game, they probably should have never been number seven. But, you know, for Duke's quarterback to come in, attempt nine passes, and then run for four touchdowns. This kid hasn't been running the football all year. You know, I'd love to know what game film Cutcliffe had to show that he could just run, you know, all over Miami. And that was, I've got to be honest, it was fantastic to see Duke win. You know, you have to have a soft spot for Duke being the doormat that they have been. Cuervo, I know you picked this as well. I mean, how happy were you to see Duke pull one off like this? I think Cuervo might have dropped off. But anyway... What a win by Duke, guys. 48-30. to 30. They scored 17 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. I think you can stick a fork in Miami, Trey. They're done. And, and that takes us to another ACC game. Trey was trying to give us some early ACC upset. And Clemson didn't disappoint Thursday night. You know, they took care of Georgia Tech. And I was worried a little bit. I wanted to see how Clemson started the game. Because if you play Georgia Tech, you need to get up on them early to kind of put some pressure on them. And, Trey, Clemson did just that. Clemson's 9-1 right now. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, Clemson dominated. And just one note on Duke real quick before, you know, because I think the Clemson game kind of was like a domination of what you want Clemson to do, if, you know, if you think if you're a Clemson fan. But not only did Duke beat Miami, a, a ranked team, Parvin, and basically, you know, move themselves into the driver's seat, they also picked up the – two of the top four players in college basketball from this year's recruiting class on signing day this week. Uh, number one, and I think number three or four, I can't remember the point guard, what rank he was, but uh, pledged to Duke. And, you know, now – so Duke had a big week, Tarvin. And you're looking on the Clemson. Uh, this is the Clemson team. They look focused again still, even after that Florida State loss. Uh, they still have been going out focused each week. It looks like they want to get to the BCS. Uh, and Taj Boyd has that team ready because, I mean, they're playing really well. Well, I think Clemson show, is showing, you know, they're, they, they're well coached. I don't like Dabo Sweeney. You know my feelings. But I think, you know, they're, they're buying into Florida State, really. They're, they're realizing, okay, we just got destroyed and dismantled. That's one game out of 12 regular season games. Clemson still has a lot to play for. I mean, they still play Clemson. Um, they, they're not going to make the ACC championship game, which might be a good thing. You don't know, but they can be playing in a BCS Bowl. They will be playing in a BCS Bowl game as long as they can beat South Carolina. So a lot left for them to look forward to, and that takes us to number eight, the Friday night game, which I picked Washington. This was the only game I lost out of these ten. 
I just thought Washington was going to play better on the road at UCLA, but, but Trey, they came out and, and just whipped Washington early. I think it got close towards the end, but UCLA dominated. Yeah, I mean, Washington is a decent football team. I think they're going to give some team fits in the bowl game because I think they're actually pretty well – I mean, Sankey and, and that team have a good offense. But I think UCLA is a very well-coached football team. You know, Mora – I mean, I've even heard his name uh, in the Texas rumors now that they're looking at Mora possibly. Uh, you know, so UCLA, very well-coached. You know, they have a guy who's a, a possibly top ten type pick at quarterback. Uh, so, you know, they went out and took care of business. UCLA is going to keep climbing as they keep winning. And, you know, they have a shot uh, if Arizona State slips up to get back in that Pac-12 championship race. So I think UCLA is focused right now, Tarvin, and that's, that's why I think they dominated this game. Jonathan, you look at being physical. UCLA is kind of built like an SEC kind of team in a way, uh, physical up front on both sides. I mean, they dominated this game. Any surprise to you on this no, I expected UCLA to win this game. Um, you know, I mean, to win by 20 did surprise me a little. I was expecting more of a 10 to 14 point range. But when you have a linebacker playing running back, he scores four touchdowns. You have a defensive end mm-hmm. catch a touchdown pass. And then Washington's starting quarterback, Keith Price, gets knocked down the second quarter. You, you kind of expect it to get ugly. Uh, I mean, you know, Miles Jack, why, what made this team move him to running back? I will not know but it was the best idea I think they've made all season. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. And Washington is a team, to me, guys, that they've underachieved this year. I thought more. Remember, Trey, I said Washington was that team to look out for. Well, there's no need to look out for them anymore. They are done. But, you know, they, they, they're capable. And, and we'll see how they keep developing. But maybe I'm a year away, Trey. Maybe I'm a year just too premature on this Washington team. Maybe – for some reason, they'll play good. Well, the first question I want to ask on this next game, Bama at Mississippi State, Trey, did A.J. McCarron remove himself from Heisman considerations after throwing 170, 187 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks on the road last night? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear he's he's out of the running now. I mean, can he get himself back in? I mean, certainly. I mean, he goes out and throws four TDs, 300 yards against Auburn, wins the Iron Bowl, then does the same thing in the SEC Championship team, you know, gets the possibly top six or seven, even five Missouri team. Yeah, it's possible. You know, so, but right now he's out. He's looking at, he's looking at, you know, looking to get himself back in. You know, Bryce Petty kind of moved himself up, uh, and I think McCarron uh, has moved himself way down. I mean, this is a, a bad performance showing that he's not really an elite player in college football when it comes down to the, you know, what you need to do. I mean, he didn't play very well in this game, and it really was. Um, he missed certain reads through in the coverage, that kind of stuff. It was a bad performance from him all around. Well, I honestly think, honestly, I, I knew this game was going to be tight. Uh, I just thought it was going to be close because if you look at history, they these two teams just seem to play each other. Mississippi State seems to play their best ball against Alabama, and Alabama coming off that win against LSU, Trey, I mean, it's just, in Auburn looming, I mean, it just looked like a perfect trap game. But the bottom line is Alabama got the win in November, and anytime you can get a win in November, that's really all that matters. Mississippi State only had 197 yards in this game, and, and I know Prescott was out, but that's domination. Anytime you hold a team to that amount of yards, which concerns me in the Iron Bowl a little bit, and passing 187, rushing 196, a very balanced attack, 
But the one thing that stood out to me, they won this game by, what, 13 points, and they turned the ball over four times, Jonathan. Um, I don't think this game was ever close, but anytime you can get a win on the road at night in your division rival game, I mean, that's huge in November. Yeah, it it was. And let's face it, that was some ugly football we saw from Alabama. But, again, they just proved that they can play – they can have a rough game and, you know, just play terribly and still just go out there and dominate a performance. Now, Mississippi State, am I saying that they're anywhere near um, being a competitive football team? No. But still, I mean, to go in there and just – completely lay an egg like uh, Alabama did and come out the victory just tells you how dominant they are as a football team. Yep, and, and you know, let's speak of McCarron, just your opinion real quick. If he comes out in the Iron Bowl and say he puts up a huge day and everybody will be watching that game, it's nationally televised game, they'll be there. Say he gets past that one and he plays a one-loss Missouri team and, and shines in that one, this could be his fourth ring in four years with his team, I mean, does he get an invite to the Heisman Trophy? Wow. Um, geez, I don't know. I think he played himself out of it. Oh, the Mississippi State game, you know, I, I, he might get an invite if they have a huge performance. But, man, I, I don't I don't know if, if McCarron can actually play himself back into Heisman talk. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think so because there's only two games left and then, and but I mean he could put up some good numbers against Auburn if, if their secondary plays like it did in the with ten minutes left in the fourth quarter last night because that's just a vulnerable defense at times and if he can get hot they can run the football and he can get some wide open throws I mean it's all about remember RG three had a stage a good stage for a couple of weeks and others played bad so you just never know what can happen and the next game surprised me a little bit Baylor at home I think they were down Trey twenty to nothing correct against Texas Tech? I don't think it was – I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if it was 20 to nothing, but they were down a little bit at first, yeah. Okay. Someone told me – and I, I finally started listening to it once I was driving home, and then I watched some of it. 20 to nothing. Our Baylor comes back, guys, and they just, you know, put the – I mean, take them behind the woodshed. And Texas Tech, you know, started out – they were a top-10 team at one time, and they went on a – a losing streak. Jonathan, I'll ask you first. I mean, are you a believer in this Baylor team right now? They jumped Ohio State in the polls. They put up 63 points last night. Are you a believer that thinks they can go undefeated during this regular season? You know, they can, and they easily can. I, You know, and I, I don't think, even though they're at Oklahoma State this week and that is their biggest challenge from here on out, um, I think they can easily win that game. They should go undefeated. They're going to break a boatload of records offensively. You know, this Baylor team is a good team and that starts at up top with a great head coach. I believe Art Bryles is a fantastic head coach. Yeah, and Trey, looking at the balance on this, 340 yards rushing for Baylor, 335 passing, 675 total. I mean, they held Texas Tech to 458, which is not bad. But how about Baylor's rushing attack? I mean, how impressed were you with them being able to run the football like they have been? So I'm impressed with, with Baylor in a lot of ways. I mean, I think Bryce Petty is a legitimate you know, Heisman can, candidate. Uh, but I'm still not convinced that they could win a football game against the physical football team or against a team with a good defense. But, you know, maybe, we'll see. I mean, Oklahoma State is, is a better football team than I think they've seen. Uh, I mean, let's not forget that Oklahoma State lost to, to West Virginia. 
Um, that's a, probably the worst, I would say, the worst loss of any one-loss team uh, out there. West Virginia is pretty mediocre. So, I mean, we'll see if Oklahoma State comes to play uh, against the Baylor. But, I mean, now I agree with Jonathan. I think they have a good shot to go undefeated. Well, let's say some hello to some people in the chat room. Andrew Miklos, welcome. Chris Melly, Jason Humphrey. Chris is representing the Tide, Humphrey, the Ducks, Jimmy Abrams, big Bama fan that said War Eagle yesterday before the game. I, I can't believe that. Corey Johnson, Auburn fan in the house, Lacey Key, Auburn, Paul Ewing, the Gators, Cuervo, Tennessee, and Trey. Um, who are you, Trey? Florida State, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. We got two people on this panel right now that's, this Florida State. I mean, how how convenient for them sitting over here gloating, being at number two right now. But welcome everyone that joined the show tonight. But te- Baylor, you know, I was thinking before I watched the game. After I watched the game and looked at them, I'm very impressed with them guys. And you know, I've been saying all year they're going to lose the game. Well, I don't know. I, I really, after watching them play, it would be a shame to see them go undefeated. But they're going to have to have. Bama or Florida State lose for them not to get left out. And if one of them loses, Baylor's going to get right there if they're undefeated. I don't see a one loss. If Auburn could happenly go one loss and go the way, I don't think they're going to pass Baylor for the way they're looking right now or Ohio State. So Baylor's going to have to have a little help, but, but they're a good football team, guys. And kudos to them for playing great football. And number five game, Arizona State, Oregon State. No surprise here, Trey. Arizona State took care of business at home, and Oregon State lost their fourth game of the season. What are your thoughts on this one? Well, Arizona State, they control their destiny right now in the Pac-12 lead to the championship game, and they still got some tougher games coming. But let's not forget that fact that right now they're the ones who are scheduled to play Oregon in the championship game. So, you know, of course, if, if they were able to win out, but, you know, so looking at that, Tarvin, I mean, this team right now looks looks pretty good. I mean, their offense is clicking. Um, and I'm not sure they'll get there, but we'll see. I mean, they, they took care of business against Oregon State for sure. Well, something surprised me, Trey. I looked at next week's point spreads, and Arizona State is favored on the road at UCLA. I, I don't know about that one. I mean, do you think they should be favored on the road with the way UCLA is playing now? Whew. Yeah, that surprises me. I mean, Arizona State's got a good offense. You know, they put up, what, 60 against USC when that got Blaine Kiffin fired. I mean, but, uh, you know, I mean, whew, UCLA's a pretty good football team. I don't know about that one. There's actually, uh, I'd say, three or four really good football games next week. And so I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah, I'm Jonathan, are you surprised that Arizona State could be favored at UCLA? Because I'm going to pick UCLA in that game probably. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to take, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to say UCLA should be the team that's favored by, I would say, three to be safe. Uh, yeah, it's just, I, I don't understand what Vegas is thinking with that. Then, you know, then again, there's a lot of things <laughs> I don't understand Vegas does. Yeah, they're missing some games this year, and, and we'll keep an eye on that one. And that could be a misprint, guys. It's happened before where they the lines came out initially incorrect. So we'll see. The next game, uh, a surprising Michigan State team, guys, in the Big Ten. There's, one, there's two teams in the Big Ten that are, are three, really, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Ohio State. But Michigan State went into Lincoln, and Trey, they didn't disappoint. They took care of business, and, and they're, they're quietly moving into that, you know, discussion of being a, good, a very good football team. They're not in the top ten yet. Are you surprised Michigan State didn't make the top ten after 
beating Nebraska and being nine and one. I'm a little surprised they didn't move in at least to like at number ten or so. But I think people are still skeptical of their offense. I think it's probably legitimate skepticism. I mean, I'm still not so convinced myself. But I mean, the Nebraska win was a legitimate win. I mean, without Taylor Martinez at quarterback, I mean, yeah, it's still a little less convincing that they should move up that high. I mean, but you know, going on the road to Lincoln is always hard, no matter who you are and what Nebraska looks like. So, you know, for Michigan State, it's a big win, and you know, they still got some good football ahead of them. Uh, to know if they're going to be really legitimate. But, uh, Tarvin, I mean, if you're a Michigan State fan or if you're a Big Ten fan, and this is kind of what you wanted to see because you want to see Michigan State sort of, you know, run out the table and and face Ohio State to make that Big Ten championship at least watchable. Yeah, Jonathan, you look at the Big Ten. I mean, Wisconsin's very impressive, and you start going back to that Arizona State they got screwed in, and Michigan State, the way they're playing, and Ohio State, I mean, this is a – this conference isn't as bad up top as, as people thought earlier. I mean, it's getting stronger. So what do you think Michigan State's chances are of running the table and knocking off Ohio State? I think they're very high. I think Ohio State should uh, should be a little nervous about Michigan State right now. Uh, that's a very good football team. They're very sound defensively. Offensively, they're getting better and better. I, you know, this Nebraska, you know, Michigan State didn't get past Northwestern. You know, they got Minnesota at home, and then it's Ohio State. And Ohio State, let's face it, guys, they gave up 35 points to a terrible Illinois team. I don't know if their defense Mm -hmm. is built to stop opponents. They're trying to outscore people. And that's not going to work with Michigan State. That that defense is just really, really, really impressive. And and it's not going to work to voters. They're not being fooled by how many points they're scoring because if you put Ohio State up against Florida State or Alabama, and and they have to play with a month to prepare. Ohio State probably get beat by four touchdowns by either team. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to score on either one of those teams like you think you can, and they're going to run all over you. So I, I think the pollsters are trying to send a message out here, Trey, that they're they're trying to get Ohio State out of the conversation unless somebody slips up. They don't want Ohio State in this because if you look at Vegas, they're already putting point spreads that Alabama and Florida State would be over a 10-point favorite over these guys. That's a, the biggest margin out of the top three or four teams there is. So just a thought yeah. here. just want to throw that out. The number three game last night, guys, was – Hey, hey Tarvin, real quick. I just, I just want to – Hey, Tarvin, I want to say this about the Ohio State-Michigan State impossible matchup. I mean, Abdullah did have 123 yards against that Michigan State defense. So that's the first inclination. They may not be as real as we think they are. Just, just want to throw that out there. Yeah, but that's a great – I mean, that's all Nebraska can do, though. So, they're eventually – how many rushing attempts did they have to get that so many yards? 22 attempts uh, for 123 yards for Abdullah, who's a Doak Walker candidate. So, I mean, he's a good running back for sure. I think Kellogg had about 50 yards, uh, the quarterback, uh, on that, about nine attempts, I think. Okay. I just wanted to – I mean, because I just want to see how many he took. But the next game, guys, was, you know, I said – Jonathan, I said Stanford would lose at least three games this year. And I'm still feeling good about it. They go on the road to Southern Cal last night, and they show that they need a lot of help. And I, I don't know how Stanford's still a top-ten team after losing to an unranked Utah and Southern Cal teams. But, but, guys, tell us, Jonathan, what you think about Stanford's performance last night. They have a lot of problems on that team. Kevin Hogan in the fourth quarter completely fell apart. Oh, that was definitely one thing I did not uh, foresee happening. 
Stanford is just, they're, they're a grinding team, but when, you know, USC and Utah, they made Stanford play their way of the game, and they lost. That's how it's been. USC played a heck of a game, and I think it had a lot to do with Ed Orgeron finding out that USC is kind of chasing down Jack Del Rio to be their next head coach. So I think he came out knowing that he was going to have to out-coach everybody uh, to try and keep that job. You know, what, what else can you say about Stanford and the fact that they, in all reality, were just outplayed when it mattered most? Well, Trey, Ed Orgeron, I mean, this is great. You know, the, the players have, have rallied around him. Do you really think he has a shot to, to get this job? I, I think he has about a 1% chance. I don't care what he does the rest of the season. Yeah, and maybe USC does something really silly and hires him. I mean, the guy what had four wins was the most he ever had at Ole Miss. I mean, you know, <laughs> that, that should tell you something about about what he. I think what he'll do if he were to remain uh, the head coach next year. I don't think they would be any much better, or they'd probably be a little. I mean, you're going to be better than when you had Lane Kiffin for sure, um, which you know should go some way. But I mean, I think USC can get a better coach uh, and and keep Ozone around if they really wanted to, but. You know, Tarvin, I just wanted to say about Hogan, you know, this is like the third or fourth game that I've watched pretty much completely from him. And I, I just tell me if I'm wrong here. Have you seen a slower throwing motion since Tebow? I mean, he seems to have a very slow <laughs> delivery and throwing motion. I mean, the guy runs the football well, but he reminds me an awful lot of Tim Tebow, except I don't think he's actually as talented as Tim Tebow. Yeah, I mean, 127 yards passing, guys. I mean, 14 and 25, he threw two picks, only averaging five yards a, a, a completion. And, and what that tells me is he's not throwing the ball down the field enough. I mean, Jonathan, is it is it his arm strength? Is it the offensive line maybe not giving him the time to let those routes develop? What's this kid's problem? I mean, you look at him. I mean, he followed Andrew Luck, and he was undefeated as a starter until, what, this year? And it's just the wheels have come off. Yeah, I, and you're ever since the Utah game, it seems like he started to slip. Uh, that game really, you know, you, you saw weaknesses in his game. And when you get pressure, when you get in the face, he just for some reason I mean, makes the dumbest throws possible. He's somebody that when there's pressure, he should tuck it and run. And he decides, you know what, let me try and throw this. You know, and we saw when Stanford was driving uh, last night, and they were on about the 15, he goes to hit Ty Montgomery on a quick slant. Not only was he going to throw the ball to Ty Montgomery, but he was going to throw it high. You would see defenders just standing there. You know, I'm kind of trying to figure out if there's something mentally going on in Hogan's mind that is just slower than his throwing motion. Well, could he possibly be hurt, Trey? Do you think there's a possibility he has an injury? You know, in college they don't disclose all the information. Could he be nursing an injury that's causing this? I don't know, unless it's to a throwing arm, I don't know that it would matter. I mean, but um, I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think he has a very th- slow throwing motion, Harvin, and I think when it comes down to them having to throw to win football games, I mean, we kind of see what happens. I mean, you know, he should make better decisions as in his second year, you know, being a starter. Uh, but part of the time was, is you know, some of his decisions were okay. He just wasn't very accurate, and his throwing motion. I mean, he gave the defenders. It seemed like to me an extra second. Uh, and that's, that's a lot when you have fast cornerbacks to give them the ability to break for the ball. Yeah, and, and, guys, I can't take too much credit for, for picking Southern Cal to beat Stanford as Trey 
called me out last night. He's like, Tarvin, you've picked Stanford against them every week, so it's bound to happen. So you're right, guys. But, you know, I picked the upset, and I felt good about myself until Trey called me out <laughs> on, the message, on the message board last night and made me look bad. But what I was saying is that those games I picked against Stanford, all of them, I really felt they were going to lose. I really did, and it's, it's just by the way I've, I've watched them play and, and what I feel about them. But I think Southern Cal only had 23 yards rushing the football last night. Trey, that's that's pretty good rush defense from Stanford. What do you think Southern Cal's problem was last night? They couldn't get running, get it going, really. I mean, they looked terrible trying to rush the football. Well, I mean, Stanford's a good football team, especially defensively, and, you know, USC's still got a lot of problems on offense. I mean, so I think that's the big issue there is they just faced a really good defense. But, I mean, Red yeah. being out hurt them as well. Yeah, it did. But, I mean, Southern Cal, they're rallying right now. But, honestly, guys, how bad would Oregon beat Southern Cal, you think? Especially when you start thinking of depth-wise and the numbers they've missed. If Oregon plays Southern Cal in that Pac-12 championship, I think we're looking at a three-touchdown deficit at least. Jonathan? Yeah, I think you're right on that one. Um, you know, USC was just – the way they beat Stanford, Stanford doesn't make you – doesn't gas you. It kind of played in the USC's hands. Oregon would – you know, just gas that defense, and it would just become, you know, when they want to score. It's not even an if at that point. It's when. And Smelly in the chat room thinks that, that USC can give Oregon a game, and, and he might be right. USC has talent, but I look at the depth and the numbers. I think they could wear out. But one thing that they have, speaking of Oregon real quick, Trey, I'm not very impressed with Mariota. And maybe he's hurt, like they're talking about, but against Stanford, the way he looked, and even against Utah, I wasn't very impressed in how he looked. Were you were you, were you impressed last night at, at the way he played against Utah? Well, no, I wasn't really impressed, Harvin. I mean, but I mean, I think Mariota clearly hurt. I mean, you see, yeah, I mean, the guy's he's a different football player since he's been hurt. I mean, and he's not as good, and that's that's been pretty prevalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I just wanted to throw that out there and see. But the next game. Um, wasn't a surprise. I mean, it was a surprise at, at the final score. But Oklahoma State, eight and one last night, going into it nine and one now, went on the road and beat a ranked Texas team, Jonathan. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't really thinking Texas was a ranked team to begin with going into this game. Uh, Texas wasn't a ranked team, but they had been. You know, Texas was hot going into this game. Uh, you know. They they were undefeated in conference play at home, Texas. You would expect them to at least put up some sort of a fight. But at the end of the day, the defensive problems that they had at you know beginning of the year, we all saw, came back. You know, Clint Shelf, you know, ran for 95 and two scores and threw for 197 two scores. And, you know, I don't know what more Case McCoy could have done other than avoid you know three interceptions. You know, but at times it seemed like McCoy was having to force – he was forcing throws because the defense was already putting him in a hole. You know, Texas at no point ever had a lead in this game, not even 3 nothing. They were always playing from behind. Jonathan, why are you talking like a baby? <laughs> that's, that's, that's really cute. See, look at that. Trey Sun's trolling me on air. Uh, he's, he's calling you – he's saying you're full of crap. But, but Oklahoma State – you know, looking at them, you know, they're they're an eight-and-a-half-point underdog this weekend, you know, against Baylor. And a lot of people thought Oklahoma State was maybe overlooking Texas. 
in a way. And I thought Texas would keep it closer than this. Oklahoma State was a three-point favorite, Jonathan, 38-13. to That's Texas' first loss in the Big 12. My question to you, is Texas really done now? I mean, that was their goal once they lost those games early. They lost to Ole Miss and BYU, and Matt Brown had them sold. It then, I mean, had them buying into winning the Big 12, but, you know, they're going to get boat raced against Baylor and now losing last night. Is Texas done? Well, yeah, they're done for the con- from a conference standpoint. Uh, you know, if they, if they can beat Texas Tech, I think Matt Brown can still stay. But if they end up losing out here and losing three in a row, Mac Brown's hot seat just got on fire. He he's gonna wish he was in hell because it was it'd be cooler there. Will Will Mac Brown be the coach of Texas after this year? I mean, everybody thought if he won out that they would be forced to keep him. But I was still under the impression, regardless of what happened this year, that he was going to be replaced. What do you think about after last night's performance? And say he loses the Baylor pretty big, are they going to bring him back? You know, Mac, Mac Brown is he's pretty much a legend in Texas at this point. And, you know, if we've learned anything, it's like you don't really fire a legend. You kind of just shove them out the door gently. Uh, I mean, my question is, who do they replace Mac Brown with? Who do they replace him with? They have to have somebody lined up, you know, for, for them to get rid of him. You know, and they have to get it done quickly so that they don't lose any of these recruits that they already have on the board. Well, I think they're waiting till after the season because the person they're wanting and, and you know, it could be, you never know, Kevin Sumlin. You never know if they want him. I don't think so. But it could be a coach that that's coaching currently right now that's obviously doing a good job and, and doesn't want to discuss it right now and be a distraction. But we know, I know it's not Nick Saban. I know he's not leaving Alabama to go to Texas, Jonathan. I don't care how much money they throw at him. Saban's happy where he's at right now, and the only thing I see him doing is retiring. I don't see him changing jobs at his age right now. Oh, well, come on. Don't you want to stoke the fire a little bit, poke a little bit of fun at the Alabama guys? I mean, let, let, let's, no. let's be, you know, uh, I mean, let's be, let's have a, let me have a little bit of fun right now. You have, you know, Nick Saban, whose wife owns a couple of Dairy Queens, if I'm not mistaken, in Austin, Texas but sets up a beautiful smoke screen, <laughs> makes all the Texas fans think, oh, he's going to come. Saban's going to – no, he's not. It, it, it's a wonderful ruse. Of course she bought him there. She's probably going to buy him, you know, in, in Los Angeles and everywhere else, just so everybody thinks that Saban's going there. But I think you're right. I, I think Saban's going to – you know, he's, he's, he's going to retire, if anything, at the end of this year uh, and just call it a career. He's had a per- perfect career, a great career. You know, there, there's not much more saving can do unless he wants to take another uh, another stab at the NFL. And there's always that opportunity that, you know, a team's going to offer him a spot to come in. You know, but... Well, I want really to say something to? about Saban real quick. You know, about Saban is I've never seen Saban act the way he has this season. You know, I mean, never in the past has he smiled on the sidelines, looked like he was enjoying himself. And I don't know if you remember the other night against LSU how he jumped up in A.J. McCarron's arms. Do you think mm-hmm. Saban is realizing maybe this is his last year before he retires? Is that a possibility? Because for some reason it looks like he's just trying to enjoy this season for some reason. And usually Saban's all business. You could be right. 
Uh, you know, it could be Saban trying to enjoy possibly his last year, and that wouldn't surprise me uh, if it is. I mean, we, we see it all the time where maybe just maybe he's, you know, pulling a Tom Coughlin on us. You know, remember when the Giants won their first Super Bowl in 07, before the year, we want to call him gone. The players want him gone because he's a stickler. They realize the only way I can, you know, keep my job, and not only keep my job, but stay healthy and stay alive, is to change my demeanor. Maybe Saban's realized that if he relaxes and, you know, calms himself down, he won't have that, not the heart situation that, you know, could, if you watch him during a game, could happen at any moment. Because when, you know, you get the Mississippi State game, you sit there and you look at him and you go, is he going to have a heart attack? I don't think he's going to survive this one. And I think that's more of what he needs. Is I think he needs that relaxation, that just that release of stress, and to have fun because he's 64. It's not you know he doesn't have that much longer to where he can be a stickler his whole his whole life. I imagine if Saban was the one on it just put Saban in Mark Rick's position last night. If that would have happened in the Iron Bowl, something like that happened, Saban could have collapsed on that sideline as mad as he'd have been. Oh man! Oh, that would have been that would have been terrible. Well, all right, guys, and the call-in number if you'd like to call in for our number one game tonight of the weekend six four six seven one six five five six four. I know we have some Auburn fans out there listening. Uh, if you'd like to call in six four six seven one six five five six four, and even if you're a Georgia fan, you want to call in and give your take on this game. Trey, I think we have you back. Yeah, buddy, I'm back. Welcome back. Well, you didn't you didn't disappoint putting Auburn and Georgia as the number one game uh, on this board. Nick, it could uh, maybe go down as one of the greatest finishes of all time. Trey, tell us where it ranks in your mind of, of finishes in an impactful game, a meaningful game like this. Where does it rank? Well, I think it's top ten probably that I've seen college football game. I mean, this maybe even top five. That was crazy. I mean, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people um, were just shocked at how. Like, going back and forth near the end. I mean, that Hail Mary should have been picked off, should have been knocked down, and then just kind of floated up there and caught, and is you know, amazing. And Georgia comes right back down. I think, for me, just as a fan, it could have been like the number two game ever if Georgia would have scored, just because, I mean, that would have been nuts. Uh, but obviously, I mean, what an improbable finish. And, you know, Auburn just, I mean, that game was crazy. Well, I'm going to give my take on it since I was there, and, and I'm going to let people call in. You know, before the game, I felt good about this game. You know, I, I felt like we had a good shot to go in and, and take care of business. And the game started started where the crowd took a took a toll on Georgia's offense. They couldn't hear, really. They, they were three and out. At the end of the first quarter, Georgia had no first downs in this game. I mean, they only ran six plays, I think, in the first quarter. And it was crazy the way Auburn was running the football. And they continued to run the football. But, you know, some controversial plays happened. I don't know if you saw this trade in the first quarter where uh, where Auburn made that catch down, what, about the 20-yard line or inside the 15, something like that, and they called it a fumble. And then I just want your opinion on this. They they overruled it and called it an incomplete pass. Did you see that play? And if you did, what was your uh, – do you agree with the overturn being an incomplete pass? Because I thought it, it was a catch. Uh, yeah, I, I was about – I mean, it was, to me it was – I was about 50-50. I thought it was ended up calling correctly after watching it in slow-mo on my TV a bunch, which is, you know, obviously a luxury. But I, just t- I will say this about the officiating. I'm, and I'll say this on both sides, Tarvin. There were huge missed calls or, or incorrect calls on both sides. And you can 
even down to the final play of the game, which was a helmet to helmet on, you know, on the quarterback for Georgia on Ari Murray. I mean, the entire game had mistakes. And I don't think, as an Auburn fan, I don't think you can chalk up the game being close or Georgia being back in it because of the officiating in Georgia. Uh, fans who I saw on the message board saying, well, we, you know, that should have been helmet-to-helmet, and, you know, it should have been, absolutely, but you can't say that you lost because of that either, so, because the game ended up being played on the field, I thought. Uh, so, by that, I think that was, you know, poor officiating this game on both sides. Yeah, there was, it seemed like, you know, especially at the end of the game, but, I mean, look, it was 37-17 with 10 minutes left, and I don't know what happened. I, I put my, you know, I don't know if you remember that running play where they ran into each other. Auburn did on third and short where he would have had a first down if, if Mason would have just gotten the ball if he hadn't been run into. After that play, it just seemed like the momentum turned. Aaron Murray, the quarterback he is, he's a great quarterback. Um, let him down and just had the momentum. But when I watched Gurley this game, he's still not 100%, guys. He's He's getting closer, but he was probably about 80%. Um, he just didn't look as explosive as he normally does, and I think that helped Auburn's defense a lot in that game. But let's go down to the last minutes where Georgia scored that touchdown, and I don't know what angle you guys had, but we had several in the stadium on the big screen showing every angle. But Aaron Murray, Jonathan, he didn't get into that end zone on that fourth down and goal. He was short about six inches. What are your thoughts? Yeah. You know, I, I have to agree with you. I, I thought it was short as well. Um, you know, I, he, he he was tough, and he tried to get it out there and get it in. But the, the one way or another, that knee was down, and the ball was, I, I think it was just short of the goal line. I mean, I think we're talking half an inch, unfortunately. It was... Well, it, 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 was, it was one of those plays where it, it just became, I think the refs were wanted to give it to him just to see what uh, what Auburn would do. And there was so much writing on that one play, so much. But who's to say that if that would have happened and Auburn would have gotten the ball, that they wouldn't have gone three and out, maybe got a safety, punted it to Georgia, and Georgia would have won the game. So I don't think you can look at that as, a, as something that cost Auburn either. But at the end of the day no. – uh, was a phenomenal win, and you know, you, I was disappointed. I was upset sitting there, thirty-seven, seventeen, and watching Georgia come back with twenty-one unanswered points. And you know, style points matter and everything. And I guess what was running through my mind at the end was, God, just let us win. I don't care how much we win by. But Georgia, kudos to them for for the way they played and they came back. But it's just Trey. It's heartbreaking when you see somebody come back. You know, if you're a player on Georgia or coach, how you feel being down by 20, you're winning by one, and all of a sudden a fourth and 18 miracle happens and you lose. I mean, that was crushing yeah. for Georgia. And I'll just say this about that play. I thought, you know, I thought I thought Murray, and I'll be honest, I wasn't sure, and they showed every angle at home. I, mean, I would have ruled him short um, for sure, uh, but it was just there was no inconclusive evidence. But I still think he was short. But at the same point, I mean, there was a, there was a clear, like, defensive holding before we started running. And so, I mean, when you kind of wash these things out, I think the end result of the game was probably just. And that's why, you know, who knows, uh, on that Hail Mary, what was, you know, the football gods were happy with Auburn, that's for sure. Um, but that was one of those games that were back and forth. There were um, just a, that, that final ten minutes, if you have 
a replay to watch. You have watched the fourth quarter of the Auburn-Georgia game if you missed that because it was a lot of fun to watch. Well, well look, I'm, I'm going to tell you the, the officiating crew to me was probably the worst I've seen in probably three or four years. And Penn Wagers is the head, head referee. His crew has been in more controversy and suspension than you'll ever see. And, and I know from what I hear um, – Jay Jacobs will be contacting the SEC office, telling them do not bring those guys to the Iron Bowl because they were terrible. And you, you're right. When you when I watch a game, I watch it with my team and everything. And of course, I'm gonna want all the calls looking at it. And that's not how it goes. When I watched it on TV, it, it wasn't as bad. You know, as you're sitting there watching it. But there were some missed calls, just like the offsides. I thought on third and five, I was like, well, the flag come in very late, and it did, but. If, if you watch on TV, he was lined up in the neutral zone way offside. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it evens itself out. But the problem yeah. I have with these officials is when you have conclusive evidence, and two calls last night was conclusive. The the fumble they overturned and they ruled it incomplete, it was conclusive that it was a catch. And then that Aaron Murray, you had evidence showing that that he did not get in. And that that's the problem I have with the replay official booth. I mean, I understand if it's it's bang bang and you can't see, but come on, guys. When you have when you see a knee down and you see the ball not touching the goal line, you have to do something. You have to overturn that. I don't care who gets mad. I don't care who starts screaming. You have to do it. But Trey, did you see Mark Rick on the sidelines during this game go crazy after they gave Auburn that fumble? No, I didn't see it. Well, I guess I don't remember seeing his reaction about the fumble. I remember other things about seeing in the game, that was not something that stuck out in my mind. But Well, Jonathan, I was at the game, and I couldn't see what was going on. I just saw the fumble, but I couldn't see. Well, what are your thoughts on that play? You know, I, I have to be perfectly honest with you. I don't remember that play. Um, you know, I've watched so much, so much football uh, in the past 48 hours that, you know, that, that play slips my mind, to be honest with you. Well, well Trey, tell us. You know, looking at Auburn, ten and one now after three and nine last year. If Auburn would have lost that game last night, if just say that fourth and eighteen would have fallen incomplete like it should have done, what do you think Auburn's chances would be in the Iron Bowl in two weeks? I don't think the game's outcome has anything to do with their chances in the Iron Bowl. I mean, I think um, honestly, I think their chances might have been better if they lost the game because they maybe maybe catch Alabama even sleeping a little bit more because they think, well, okay, these guys aren't for real. We can, we can not worry about it as much, no matter what Saban tells them in the you know the film review. Uh, but I think you know when you talk about that's why I'm saying win or lose, it's going to be about a film review, and that's why I'm you know that's why you and I were talking um, before, and the problem I see for Auburn with some of the things, and that, you said I know you went back and watched the game. And, yeah, you know, some of the Marshall's throws and some of the coaching decisions, you know, three and out, three throws in a row when he had a lead. There were some things in the game, I think, that, that Auburn's going to go back in the film review and want to correct. And I think that Alabama's going to look at the film review, and it doesn't matter what happened to Hail Mary, they're going to see and, and have their thoughts about, you know, how the how the game was called and, you know, how Marshall progressed or didn't progress with some of his throws. So, you know, win or lose in that Iron Bowl, their chances are going to be just as good no matter what. They still have a chance to win that game. Yeah, but I think it's different when you go in knowing that not only can you spoil your rival season, but you can help yourself. And, and losing that game would have been deflating, but maybe the bye week would have helped. But 
I'm still believing that, that we're going to see a different Auburn team in this Iron Bowl when it comes to offense. I think they can still run, but I think you're going to see a lot more formations, Jonathan, that we haven't seen yet. There's still about five or six that I remember from the old Gus Malzahn days um, back in 2010 that we haven't seen this year. What do you think Gus is doing in these two weeks to get ready for Alabama? Oh, I think Gus is throwing something up for Alabama. Um, you know, he, he's definitely going to be looking back at the film from uh, – He's definitely going to be going back looking at the film from the Cam Newton game, and he's going to be sitting there going, well, how can I translate what Newton did in that game to Marshall and hopefully he'll utilize Marshall to his full potential in this game. I, I, that's going to be a great game. I, I do believe that Auburn beating Georgia um, will, you know, I think that helped this game more than anything. I know, you know, you, some of us think, you know, that whether they win or lose doesn't mean anything. Well, there's a lot more riding on this game than just an Iron Bowl and bragging rights now. Now it's who comes out of the SEC West. You know, Alabama's national championship hopes on the line, and it's pride. For for Auburn, it's a chance to get back to Atlanta, and it's pride. And that's just going to be – it's going to set up smash-mouth great football. I cannot wait to uh, see this contest. Well, I'll tell you this, Trey. If, if Auburn plays – in the fourth quarter, like they did last night, they're going to get beat by 42 points. Well, yeah, I mean, here, here's – I mean, you, you and I have been talking about this both on the show and off the show, is whether Nick Marshall, when he's pressed, you know, can he make good decisions um, and then throw the ball efficiently. In the fourth quarter of the Georgia game, he didn't. I mean, uh, the Hail Mary, you know, was was a fluke and a, and a very lucky play, but, you know, there was a receiver open for the first down who had come open about five or six yards past the defense. I mean, that was the read, not the triple coverage. So, you know, they're going to have to go back to the film room. Nick Marshall is going to have to continue to learn. I mean, he has the absolute physical ability to beat Alabama. There's no doubt about it. The kid is good. Um, but he's going to get pressure and schemes like he hasn't seen before when he faces Nick yeah. Saban's defense, and it's going to be – you know, when he throws that pick in the first quarter, is he going to get down on himself? Is it going to be – I mean, you know, there's going to be times where he's going to be challenged in the Alabama game, whether it's a turnover or whether it's just a physical play or he misses a read that he shouldn't have missed. You know, and it's going to be how he reacts to that, whether or not he can pull off the upset because he has the talent, Harvin. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Trey Mason and Nick Marshall can do the, can pull off an upset, but it's just a matter of, you know, is he going to be efficient enough and make the good decision? Well, Jonathan, I'm, I have a suspicion that we're going to see Jeremy Johnson a good bit in this game. Do you think I'm I'm way off on this? Well, I think you're right. I think we will see uh, some Jeremy Johnson that game. He definitely adds a different dimension to uh, the Auburn offense and what he can do from you know just athletically. You know, he he's a freshman that, as Auburn fans, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you agree when I say the future. Is a little is a little bit brighter with Jeremy Johnson, other than you know an unknown. Now that you know what Johnson can give you. Yeah, and and I, I look at it. I'm as an Auburn uh, supporter here. I'm I'm very happy with Nick Marshall. And remember, he just got on campus when the season was starting, and and he's gotten better week in and week out. And last night, when plays needed to be made, he made them. In that fourth quarter, Trey's right. He made a couple of bad decisions that I'm sure every quarterback does, but I think the microscope's on him a little bit more because of people putting him as, as Auburn as a one-dimensional offense. And 
I'm telling you guys, this is not a one-dimensional offense. If you choose to run the football and you do it well, that's one thing. But Auburn can throw the ball when they pick and choose to, and they're usually wide-open plays. I don't know if you all noticed that, but usually when they throw, it's, it's a completion. So I think against Alabama, they're going to have to throw it a lot more. They're not just going to run up, line up against Alabama and run it down their throat. That's not going to happen. I, can, I mean, but Georgia is kind of a good idea of what kind of these other three, four, watching Georgia run it. That's what Alabama's going to run, but it's going to be times 10. So it's going to be interesting to see how much progression trade Jeremy or uh, Nick Marshall can, how better he can be in the next two weeks, because that's a long time to be able to work and focus on one team. Because when you're in the regular season and you have game after game after game and you have to study for that specific opponent, I think this is going to be huge for Albert's offense, being able to prepare for two weeks. Well, yeah. I mean, we talked about how Alabama had bye weeks before the LSU and A&M game, and that certainly was very helpful uh, to both uh, to both those weeks. So, you know, now Auburn gets it. I mean, but let's be honest. I mean, they, they scheduled Chattanooga ahead of uh, – you know, ahead of Auburn. I don't think that Nick Saban's going to spend a whole lot of pay time uh, and prep time on Chattanooga. We'll see a very efficient uh, Alabama team against Chattanooga. They'll blow them out pretty quickly. And then, uh, so this might not be a week where you get to see Alabama run a lot of plays and, you know, check their offense. I mean, they're, they're going to blow Chattanooga out, and they're going to be working on Auburn for two weeks as well. Well, I kind of wish, you know, looking at it, I think I would rather be playing Chattanooga in a way than I would be having a bye week because I think sometimes you can get out of your rhythm, you know, and and you need to keep playing. And an offense like Auburn's one good thing, they can run the football if they are a little cold. But, uh, Trey, I like being able to play a smaller team like Chattanooga and kind of let a lot of people play. Get your first team in there for a quarter and let everybody else get some playing time because they could be playing in that Iron Bowl. So I kind of like Alabama playing Chattanooga better than I do a bye week for Auburn. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the thing is they both have their pros and cons, but certainly, um, yeah, you like the time off. It's a good time to make sure your guys are good and healthy. Uh, some guys who are banged up are gonna are gonna get healthy, and that's always a good thing. Where um, you don't you don't have to play somebody, whether it's Chattanooga or anybody. I mean, the fact is they get they get a chance to to rest up a little bit. Uh, obviously, this is Miles Vaughn's first big. Test. I mean, as a head coach, I mean, this is going to be a top ten matchup, and you know, this is the shot to take down the title contender. I mean, this is to be the man you got to beat him, and this is Maljon Maljon's shot to sort of make Auburn's mark yeah. not only on the field but in recruiting. Yeah, I disagree with that being his first test. I mean, you don't get your first test in the SEC thirteen games or twelve games into it. I think they've they've had smaller tests and they passed them. They they beat an Ole Miss team. I know they're. To you, they're not that good. They went on the road and beat Texas A&M, which Alabama is the only team that could do. They they beat Georgia at full strength almost when other teams were beating them when they had a lot of injuries. So I think, you know, sometimes you need some pop quizzes to get to that big test, and I think Auburn's prepared. You know, being at home is going to be huge, but we'll see. I'm sure we'll talk about this game. We, we, we may even do just an Iron Bowl show for everybody in there if we have enough participation with Alabama and Auburn fans one night. But it's going to be fun. I mean, all that matters is right now is it's still November, and there's a lot of football left to be played. So you never know what can happen this weekend, Trey. We have some good matchups coming up. That We have LSU and A&M playing next Saturday. We have Missouri and Ole Miss, which could be a huge game for that SEC East, Trey. What, what chances are you giving Missouri of beating Ole Miss? 
Oh, Missouri can beat Ole Miss. Yeah, I think Missouri's a better <laughs> football team than Ole Miss, for sure. That doesn't mean they'll execute on the field, but, yeah, Missouri's a better football team than Ole Miss. Yeah, Missouri's favorite three, Jonathan, going into to Oxford this weekend, and I, I'm interested to see who you're going to pick in this one. Preseason, I picked Ole Miss to knock off Missouri. Um, you know, Missouri has forced a turnover in 40 straight contests. They clearly have, you know, outdone everybody's expectations this year. Ole Miss is seven and three. Yeah. Night game in Oxford. Golly, you're putting me on the spot. As of right now, as of today, I'm going to tell you that Ole Miss upsets Missouri. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to pick that too. I'm. I'm. I mean, right now, if it's today, Wednesday night could change once Trey puts that on the list. You never know. But, mm-hmm. Trey, there's not a lot of exciting games next week. But like, like we talked about before, th- those are the weeks where people lose when, when nobody's expecting it. So are you are you thinking that any of the top teams out there are going to lose next weekend? Well, yeah, I mean, you forgot the biggest game of the week possibly, which is the Oklahoma State-Baylor game. That's a, that's a pretty big game. Uh, and there is a, there's absolutely a shot that Baylor loses that game in Stillwater. I mean, uh, so, you know, that's that's probably going to be the number one game. I mean, i got to look at all the schedules again and read in Miami and make sure. Um, but you have, I mean, there's there's three or four, I think, good games that could help out the old race. I mean, obviously, uh, I don't think Florida State and Alabama are going to lose to Idaho and Chattanooga, but that doesn't mean the rest of the field uh, couldn't slip up. Well, a yeah, question a for you. I mean, is, is Johnny going to – has uh, Winston been arrested yet for the sexual assault, or I haven't heard anything else about it? No. Uh, nope, he's not arrested. Uh, actually, okay, was... Jameis' lawyer released a statement today uh, telling the DA um, essentially the coolest jets. He, he's made some comments in the media that are a little unprofessional, and I'm still trying to figure out if the DA has a motive against Winston and why, because Meg, the, the DA, is a graduate of Florida State. You know, he, he graduated from law school, got, you know, he got his bachelor's in criminology there. And I'm just trying to figure out, you know, why somebody who literally was born in Tallahassee is now trying to take down the football team, and he's been really brash about this whole thing, uh, you know, it, it's just really fishy um, what his underlying motive could be here and who could be paying him. I'm looking right strictly at you, Gainesville. Well, Jonathan, we're getting a lot of uh, we're breaking up. I'm losing the ammo. I'll put you on mute just a second. Um, Trey, I think Johnny Manziel's got a big opportunity in front of him or two big opportunities to win this Heisman Trophy at LSU, and then he yeah, going on the road at LSU and Missouri, I believe. So if he plays well in those two games, are you thinking he's going to win that Heisman Trophy? Well, yeah, absolutely as a shot. I mean, but, I mean, if Winston, you know, does keep playing, the charges are dropped. I mean, Winston's got another game uh, against, you know, against the ACC championship when, when Mandel will be sitting at home. So, you got to think about those things as well. Uh, and, of course, you know, those losses. And, you know, I mean, and Mandel's going to have a shot, put it that way. Um, against two ranked teams. But, you know, if he loses one of those, Tarvin, uh, you know, it's going to be tough. Yeah, we'll see. I'm going to go ahead and tell you Johnny's going to win that Heisman Trophy. So we'll see what happens. And, Trey, thanks for joining us. Jonathan, thanks for filling in, being on the panel. Cuervo, thanks for calling in. Guys, everybody in the chat room, 
have a great week and join us Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. We're going to preview a great week of NFL and college. Trey, it's hard to believe, but this football season is almost over. Yeah, I mean, we don't have a whole lot left uh, for sure. Uh, but I do want to bring up one thing before we go, and it's not on college football. It's on college basketball. Michigan State, who, after they beat the number one team in the country, had a scare against Columbia, Tarvin. And I don't know if you heard this story, but this is one of those things where you got to give kudos to the fans. Uh, they have a tradition, sort of like a lot of schools do, if it's a close game, they'll do a fake shot clock. Uh, and Columbia had two straight possessions where the fans did a fake shot clock and got Columbia to buy into it. Uh, so just one of those things that if you're a fan sitting at home and you don't think that you can affect the outcome of a football or a basketball game, well, you can. And that's one of those examples of how fans affected the game. And Michigan State won a tight one and almost got upset, but... Uh, so crazy things have happened, and, and, and football is hard, and basketball is already getting started and, and getting crazy itself. So uh, go to your games uh, and uh, root for your team because you never know how you might be able to affect the outcome. Exactly, and I think Kentucky took care of Robert Morris today, if I'm not mistaken. They were up by 25 when I saw it. Uh, I think about that when I came onto the show. But I, like I've told you before, it's 87-48, so, yeah, that's a blowout. Kentucky, at the end of the day, they're going to be back, and they're going to be in that Final Four, and hopefully they'll get another shot at Michigan State in that tournament because I think you're going to see a big difference in the outcome. So, Trey, have a great week, everybody, 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, and thank you all for the participation tonight. Have a great week. Right into this world All alone Gotta take your soul You're on your own the crow flies straight, the perfect line.